It's Mystic Dan here. Did you think that your mind is just inside your skull? That it only affects your own body and has no reach outside of yourself? Well, you're goddamn wrong. And we're going to talk about it today. Very excited to be discussing the selection effect. How Consciousness Shapes Reality by Herb Mertz. Now, Herb Mertz, the author of the book, he was involved in Princeton's Pear Lab. Now, Pear stands for Princeton Engineering Anomalies Research. This was a laboratory set up at Princeton University in the late 1970s to study whether or not the mind could affect a physical process, could affect physical reality. And so the basic idea was to create a random event generator. Uh, more commonly, we would just think of as a random number generator. So what it does is it generates a random string of ones and zeros. Now, theoretically, it should generate an equal amount of ones and zeros. And the process is random. They made sure it was shielded from normal physical forces that might affect it. So electromagnetic waves cannot affect it. It's not affected by temperature fluctuation, by vibration. Um, it's shielded from all of those normal, you know, physical effects. And so what they had people do was sit down and see if they could mentally, like, envision the number one in their mind and try and influence the machine to create more ones that, or to generate more ones than zeros. And it's all about, you know, looking at the results and determining how far they deviate from chance. So let's say that you have a random number generator and I'm sitting in front of it and I'm trying and there's usually a screen. It's You've got to have some feedback. So let's say every time there uh, number one is generated, I see a green square on the screen. Every time a zero is generated by the machine, I see a red square. So maybe I'll be sitting there and in my mind, I'll be thinking green. I'll envision green. I'll feel myself becoming green. Whatever it takes to try and influence that machine to create more greens, which means more ones generated. And let's say we do a million trials. And then we look at the results and we find that the random number generator generated 1,000 more ones than zeros during the course of the million trials. So we would have to look at that statistically. How likely is that to occur by chance? And if it's only a thousand more out of a million, probably it's, it's a pretty good chance that that is a chance result that could have happened whether or not I was trying to influence it. So let's say that the chances of that result are one in, one in five or 20%. Well, we would conclude that I really didn't influence or probably didn't influence the machine since it's so likely to happen by chance. But let's say uh, there's a million trials and out of those million trials, the, the computer generates 50,000 more ones than zeros. Then we do the statistics. And again, this is off the top of my head. I, you know, this isn't you know, something I figured out, but this is just in general. Uh, let's say if it's 50,000 more ones than zeros, we do the statistics and we find that 
there's only one chance in 500,000 that that could have occurred by chance, which means we would have to run that experiment 500,000 times to expect one of those times to have that kind of result. Then we would scratch our heads and say, you know, maybe my mind did affect the machine because this is so unlikely to happen by chance that it looks like the mind actually affected what should be a random process and skewed it, you know, in favor of generating ones. So let's go to specifically Herb Mertz. Um, basically, the Pear Lab was shut down in 2007. So Mertz decided to continue the research on his own. And actually, he teamed up with a fellow former employee of the lab named John Valentino to continue the research. They created a company called Cyleron with the goal of marketing these random event generators for the masses. Specifically, they wanted to make a smaller USB RNG that anyone could hook up to a computer and use at home and experiment by themselves. Uh, the software is very interesting. It shows you a graph with, and I'll show you a picture of that here, shows you a graph with a dotted line through the center. And going from left to right, there's a parabola, a dotted parabola that extends above the center line and below. And that signifies statistical significance. Okay, so... When you are sitting in front of the screen trying to influence the random number generator, you want to see the line go above that dotted line, the top parabola, because what Mertz was trying to do is get a significant number of hits in the positive direction, meaning the, number, the random number generator was generating more ones than zeros. So the bottom parabola line would be you know, generating zeros. And if the, the, the black solid line goes up, then it's generating more ones. So each time you hit the space bar on your keyboard, a black solid line will start walking. And if the random number generator generates a one, then the black line goes up. If the random number generator generates a zero, then it will go down. And so the goal is to make this black line walk across the screen in a positive direction. And of course, it's going to fluctuate. You know, it's going to go up and down. You're never going to get all, you know, hits or ones. Um, but that's the goal is to get it above that parabola into significance. Now, one thing that makes this a little bit easier, I think, to mentally kind of influence it is he also has a box here at the bottom uh, the box is green if it's a one generated or red if it's a zero. Now, one interesting thing he added here was that he put in the green box or red box the number of consecutive hits in that direction. So let's say I hit the space bar. I got my result. It's a, it's a one. The box is green. It will display a number one inside meaning that's the first one generated in a row. And then I'm holding that green in my eyes. I'm envisioning green. I hit the space bar, 
and it's green again. I got another hit. The random number generator generated a number uh, a one again two times in a row. So then I'll see the green box with a number two inside. Then I'll hit the space bar again. It's another one. Amazing. Now it's got a number three inside. And then let's say I, I hit the space bar again and it generates a zero. Well, then it would go to a red box. The box would turn red and it would have a number one inside, meaning that's the first red in a row that I've gotten. So you see kind of how that works. So his goal in this was to do four studies. And the first study was about two and a half million trials or, you know, clicks of the space bar. And I think he could make it go faster by holding the space bar down for some periods, generating hit after hit, uh, or he could just do one at a time. So the first study was like two and a half million trials, and then studies two, three, and four were about a million trials each. So he did about 5.5 million trials. And his goal was by the end of study four to get a significance level of one million to one. Meaning, you know, that result would only occur by chance getting that many ones versus zeros would only occur by chance one time in a million if you just let the machine do five and a half million trials over and over and over and over. It would only happen once in a million, which uh, indicates that it's probably not chance. He probably did actually have an effect. All right, so let's go to strategies. Um, how did he do this? What was he doing in front of the screen exactly to try and get the machine to generate the, the right number? Well, one strategy I've already mentioned is thinking green, envisioning green in your mind, thinking about the color green. He could also try and think the line on the screen, the black line that went up and down as he pressed the space bar. He could think that to go up. He could also imagine a high score in the box. As we noted, you know, it shows the consecutive number in a row of that particular uh, number, whether, whether it's green, number one, or red, num uh, a zero. So he could envision like a number, uh, the box with a number 15 inside the green box. Um, and there are more strategies we might get to later. But anyway, he found... He did, he did his first study, and then he had um, somebody analyze it statistically. And it showed that he got more ones than zeros, statistically significant, to the order of two chance. Against chance, it was 200 to 1. 200 to 1 against chance. And then he did um, studies 2 and 3. And interestingly, those also had results of 200 to 1 against chance or close to 200 to 1, maybe 170 to 1 or 220 to 1, but it was around that same thing. And he surmised that the reason why that happened was because after he had the first set of data analyzed and it was 200 to 1 against chance, that's how good he did, he created kind of a mental model in his mind maybe even unconsciously created that that showed him that that's that's how good I can do you know that's what I'm capable of so then 
during the next two studies, unconsciously maybe, he, um, he subscribed to that model and did about the same each consecutive time. And indeed, he found expectation was a huge factor in how the results turned out. Specifically, he talks about a mental regulator deep in the mind that alerts us to danger when something abnormal is present. So, for instance, if he was in the zone and the line on the screen was going up and up and up and up, if it got too high, if he started doing too well, his mental regulator would cause a feeling of fear inside of him. The line would start coming back down because that's what should happen. See, the mental regulator itself is, is built on, on mental models. These are models we have of ourselves in the world. For example, you might have a mental model of a friend. So let's say this friend loves to go outside in nature and take photos and post them on Facebook. Then one day, without even having consciously thought about it, you're looking at Facebook. And again, you haven't really thought about that friend or any thing about the pictures, but you're looking at Facebook one day and all of a sudden you get an uneasy feeling, a feeling that something is wrong. And then your mind, uh, you, you think about that friend in your mind and you realize, oh shit, they haven't posted any of their nature pictures recently. And that's your mental regulator causing you to, uh, alerting you to danger. Hey, something's wrong. Something doesn't fit with our prior model. Something's out of spec with this person. And then you might call the friend, say, what's up? You know, why haven't you been posting your, your nature pictures? And uh, maybe they tell you information about why they didn't. And then you update the model in your head so that your mental regulator doesn't have to alert you to any danger. Or maybe something bad did happen to them and you can help them or whatever. Okay, so then we have a mental model of ourselves in relation to the world. We have models of what we can and can't do. Our models of ourselves define our limits. And that first set of trials that Herb Mertz did, which showed results against chance of about 200 to 1, created a mental model within himself of his ability to affect the random event generator. If he starts doing much better than that, the mental regulator will send an alarm that something is wrong. And he'll start to feel uneasy about his success and expect results to come back down, which he describes as a rubber band effect. It's like he goes way up and then boom, drops way back down. You know, it's almost like even the mental regulator will cause us a to fear. Like, this is getting too good. You can't do that good. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But there's the mental regulator that caused a problem for, you know, being really successful at the game, if you want to call it a game. But then there are also what he calls moments. A moment is, on the other hand, is a time when he's feeling good and getting good results. He's achieves a flow state which temporarily deactivates the mental regulator as he's living in the moment just feeling good and getting good results on the screen 
One such moment he mentions was when he suddenly envisioned his grandma wearing a green hat. Green, remember, indicates a one, which makes the line go up and is the direction he was aiming for. And the vision of his grandma with the green hat filled him with feelings of love and nostalgia. And he just let himself embrace that feeling and the image. So during that time, he got a surge of hits and the line rose up sharply. But as with all moments, there comes a time when one becomes self-aware again. You realize what's happening. You kind of step out of the moment for a second and you start analyzing it. You know, what, what's happening here? How am I doing this good? How is this strategy working so well? Your analytical mind comes in and then that's when things start to come back down. The mental regulator steps back in and reverses the direction to pigeonhole reality into what it expects should happen. You know, it's like the mental regulator saying, you can't have results that good. You know, after all, the mind isn't supposed to be able to affect the material world around it. If it can at all, it must be a small effect. So to be able to affect the RNG to a great extent is downright scary to the mind. You know, a small effect, sorry, a small effect may be acceptable, but to go too high is to threaten one's deep sense of its relationship to reality. If you want to put it in simple language, we're scared of being God, right? You might think that'd be great if we could just affect reality and make reality conform to any thought or wish we had. But that's also something to deeply fear, to have that much control over reality. It's just too scary. So if he started doing too well, getting too high results, too many ones... Uh, versus zeros that fear would kick in and some mental regulator would would um, would cause him to pull back in a sense so the mind has a model of normalcy what should happen which it uses to monitor the world and when something out of the ordinary happens the mind tries to force its model of reality and onto onto reality and make reality conform. He likens it to a kid misbehaving. So the parent admonishes the child and tries to impose the model of proper behavior on the kid. But also that feeling of what should happen, he found could also work in his favor. He described one session where he started out doing well with a slight trend in the upward direction, but then got spooked and lost his grip. And no matter how hard he tried to resume his earlier positive thoughts, the line kept trending downward and it went all the way down to the point of negative significance dipping below the lower parabola. And at that point, he kind of just got pissed off. He felt like the universe had wronged him. You know, he just knew he could do better and achieve a statistically positive significance uh, positive score. So from that point on, the line rose in a steep fashion. You know, greens or ones kept being generated by the REG at a significantly higher rate 
than reds, and he ended the session at the upper parabola. You know, basically based on that sense of entitlement that the universe had wronged him and he deserved better. Another problem he came up against was that he found that when he had a strategy that worked, um, it only worked for a while, and then the mental regulator would try to sabotage his strategy. So one strategy he used to great effect was the mental pen strategy. He describes this as a kind of reverse perception. Normally, white light waves come into the eyes, creates an image in our brain that's um, sort of projected outward, but... He describes it as a reverse per, per, uh, perception where he uses his eyes to push the color green out onto the screen as if he's projecting green outward from his eyes onto the screen. As his success with this grows, the mental regulator will come forth. And, you know, like I said, the mental regulator normally will start making you feel uneasy if the results are getting too good. But if somehow he can push past that feeling of uneasiness and continue to use the strategy, the mental regulator, he says, will put up a mental wall that prevents him from using it. It's like getting on stage for a speech and suddenly your mind goes blank. Even though you practiced and rehearsed your speech, you know what you should be talking about, your mind just goes blank because of that fear. Again, the mind is trying to conform reality to a model. And in that model, a person is not supposed to be able to greatly affect a material process that should be purely random. So if his results are deviating from chance too much, the mental regulator will force him to change his mindset uh, to expect or fear loss, and he'll start getting more reds and the line will come down. If he tries to push past that, it will cloud and fog his mind to the point where he can no longer use his strategy that's been working so well. There's also another problem called the exploratory response. Even when he had a strategy that was working well, after a while, his mind would think about changing strategies. He would start to second-guess his current strategy and start thinking another strategy might be better. He likens this um, evolutionary mental mechanism to an ant colony marching uh, to a food source. Normally, the ant colony, they'll march in line to wherever they know the food is at. But a few of the ants will stray from the pack. You know, just a few. They'll go out and just explore. Because, you know, it's probably best just to go to the known food source. But... What if you're marching right past a better food source? Well, you would never know that if you didn't explore. So a few of the ants go out exploring. Maybe they'll find something better. And he says the mind has a tendency to do this too, to try new strategies, even when past strategies have worked well. So that's in case, you know, environmental factors uh, change and there's a better pattern or way of doing things. Our mind is just programmed to explore a little bit. And as he got closer to his goal of achieving that combined score against chance of 1 million to 1, 
that's, you know, when you combine all the studies, one through four, you know, which total about 5.5 million spacebar clicks or, you know, trials, you know, he got, you know, a lot of the way through study four, which he determined this is going to be my final study. It's either I get a million to one odds at the end of this study or it didn't work. Okay. So he got, he was nearing the end of study four, still not to a million to one odds, maybe 800 and some thousand to one. Fears really started to kick in. Okay. On the one hand, any misstep from here on out could cause his results to worsen and he wouldn't achieve his goal. It would put the book in jeopardy. On the other hand, if he was successful, it would force him to change his understanding of himself. I mean, it's a great pill to swallow to know that you affect the world around you simply by way of your mental activity. It would almost be much easier to live with the fact that you didn't um, have, you know, great success in the game. Because having that kind of million to one success means you do impact the world outside of you just by simply your mental activity. So that's a, that's a pill you have to swallow. That was also a fear. So he decided to stop during study four near the end to regroup and try to get better at influencing the REG. We talked about the problems, the mental regulator, talked about the exploratory response that would you know, get him off of a good strategy when it was working. He wanted to try and get better, try and get around these mental blocks so he could definitely achieve his goal. But he, he kept trying to overcome those difficulties for achieving a high score with little success. He just he couldn't seem to get much better at getting hits. His mind would always find a way to disrupt any positive flow state that was allowing him to get a high percentage of hits. So he finally just decided to give up. He's like, I just can't seem to get better. I give up. And he just told the universe, he said, look, I tried to do a good thing. And amazingly, giving up seemed to do the trick. He started feeling himself connected to a greater power or a greater self. And the hits started coming more and more. In that flow state, he achieved great scores. He himself no longer cared about the score. He had taken his ego out of it. He was just using the REG to display his feelings of serenity that he didn't care about the outcome anymore. His limited ego self with all its attendant fears would inevitably step, step back in after a while of experiencing that connected state like you're connected with something greater. He called that the connected self. So his ego self would, would, would you know, come back in from time to time. However, he found that over time he was able to experience the connected self more and more and empathize with his ego self. And he ended up, by the end of study four, achieving results against chance of 1.7 million to one. Meaning, if we were just to let this random number generator, and by the way, he did do control trials. So he made sure if he wasn't sitting down in front of it, influencing it, if the random number generator was just set up to run on its own without him there, that 
the results did stay well within chance. They were not statistically significant. So he knows it was him who had the effect because, you know, if it was by chance that this happened, it would mean that, you know, that specific, that kind of result, that good of a result, that many more ones than zeros would only be expected to happen by chance every 1.7 million times you ran the experiment. Highly unlikely to be due to chance. Most likely his mind did affect the inner workings of a physical device. I can't stress this enough. So I'm going to try to not to get too, not to get too worked up here, but I'm getting excited. Okay. So an important lesson he learned is that direct intention alone has little effect if there isn't meaning or purpose behind it. His whole project was meant to advance human knowledge and show that the reach of the mind is not confined to our skulls. He had purpose, and that's the key to achieving your goals in life. He knew that he was doing this for something greater than himself. This project was to show, not just himself, but others, that the mind is that powerful and can affect material reality. Okay, so let's go to another um, invention of his company, Cyleron. I love the name, by the way. That company also creates the Mind Lamp, which is driven by a random number generator. The lamp is designed to rotate around a color wheel clockwise and only occasionally does it go counterclockwise. So it rotates around this wheel, most mostly in the clockwise direction, and changes color. Sometimes it will stay on a certain color for a while and then change, keep changing colors. Okay, so like, you know, it'll turn red and then it'll change into magenta and then purple and then blue and then, you know, it goes around rotating colors. And Mertz's success with controlling the mind lamp was very interesting because it involved creating a story. One day, the lamp was blue with, he says, just a hint of purple. So I guess the lamp doesn't have to be a solid color. Sometimes uh, specks of the, the last color can be remaining in there. So it was blue mostly with a hint of purple. And so he imagined that the purple color in the lamp was a virus. And this virus was invading the lamp. It was replicating inside the lamp, growing and taking hold. And then the lamp changed in the counterclockwise direction, which we talked about was unusual anyway, and became fully purple and started moving into magenta. And that'd be counterclockwise. It'd be purple, magenta, red, orange in the counterclockwise uh, direction. So his story that this virus was invading the lamp, you know, actually affected the lamp, actually imprinted itself on reality. The lamp started going backwards and became purple. 
Okay. He then envisioned that the virus was invading the inner core of the lamp now, creating a menacing red glow inside of the lamp. And the red brightened and the lamp became almost fully red. He then became unnerved and thought, my God, I, I can't really keep... Or he said, yeah, quote, my God, I really can't keep this up. So his mental regulator, no doubt, caused him to start questioning and feeling uneasy about what he was doing. He was having this great effect. The colors were changing exactly according to his story in his mind. And as we would expect, the, land began, the lamp began to move back clockwise again around the color wheel. At that point, becoming from red, it went from magenta to purple. Okay. However, he wasn't done. He decided to jump back into the story, imagining that the reason the lamp was turning purple is because the lamp's immune system had started fighting off the virus. So he imagined that the virus had mutated into a super virus. Now it was a really strong mutated form of the virus. And sure enough, the lamp color changed direction again, going back to magenta and then fully red as he envisioned it should because that virus was replicating inside of it and changing its color. So clearly he was successful there, but he decided that just wasn't enough. He wanted to get the lamp to change even more backwards from red to orange that would be the next color in the counterclockwise direction he said just he just wanted to do that as icing on the cake however he says he had pretty much exhausted his story at that point so the plot was over he had lost it the virus story was was exhausted so the color started heading back red magenta back to purple again and he could have created another story involving orange, but he thought that was too artificial. So instead, he just sat back and noted to himself that he was clearly able to direct the lamp's output. In effect, he had a strong belief rise up within him that he could do it. He could affect the lamp and make it move in the direction he wanted. He just knew he could. After all, he had just been successful two different times with those two versions of the story. So he just sat back with the desire, and not only the desire, but the certainty and the serenity to have Orange show up on the lamp. And the lamp then moved backwards through magenta, red, and finally to a bright glowing orange. <clears throat> so this goes to show us that an inner belief that's strong enough can also affect reality in a very strong way, make reality conform. And it's interesting that he did that in the form of a story, envisioning this virus invading the lamp, because we all create stories about our lives. We create stories about who we are, about our place in society. And these stories guide our actions and shape our lives in unseen ways. Sometimes the stories are given to us. We are told, for instance, from a very young age, Oh, you're so smart. Your teacher tells you, Oh, you're really smart. Your mom tells you, Oh, you're so smart, honey. 
And then that story gets imprinted into our minds and we think we're smart. And it could be the reverse. You could be told you're stupid and that's the negative side of that. People can be imprinted with a bad story about themselves. And it's really hard to break out of those stories. Um, but the fact is we can create new stories for ourselves. We can create a better world, a better life for ourselves. Now, I just want to share how I do this. And there are many ways to create to create your own story. But here's, here's what I do. I envision myself kneeling before God. And I envision God as like this big light, like the sun, this great light. Because consciousness, mind, Love is light. So I envision myself kneeling before God. And as I kneel in the vision, I write down, I envision myself writing down on paper before God. I'm writing down on paper what I want for my future. And as I write each thing, I envision, I picture it. I picture it in my mind I feel the joy it will bring in my life. And not just me. This isn't just about me. I want to help the world be a better place. I want to teach other people. I want to do things for others. So I envision also the joy that it will bring others. I create meaning that's not just for myself, but for the world or for other people at least. So I'm writing each thing. I write one thing and I envision it. I, I share the vision with God, you know, kind of. And then I write the next thing and I envision it and I, I feel the joy that, that that will bring. And then at the end, I sign my name and I guess you could say I sort of cut my wrist a little. This is just in my vision. This isn't a real life. Uh, but anyway, that's the purpose of that is to bleed and then I stamp the paper with my blood. And that kind of just creates this powerful feeling of this is my blood stamp on this paper. This is what I want and what I ask you, please, you know, help me achieve God. Uh, so I, you know, fully believe that the universe will respond by shaping events outside of myself to match that vision. So long as I stay true to the vision, as I keep that vision you know, I don't just do this once and I'm done with it. I envision it, not every day, but, you know, two, three times a week, I'll go through this process in my mind and I'll keep envisioning the same, the same things. This is what I want. And then, of course, I have to put in the work myself. I have to work towards those goals, but I trust in God to shape the world around me and the events around me to help me achieve those goals. So, I want to end with our minds. What Herb Mertz's book demonstrates, what his experiments demonstrate, is that our minds are powerful forces whose influence extends beyond the body. Our minds can reach out and shape the world around us, or at least influence events in subtle ways. You know, sort of shift things in a certain direction, if you may. And more even greater, when connected in a powerful way to the universal mind, when connected to that greater sense of reality, 
our minds can create events and experiences in our life and we don't have to stay stuck in our usual patterns or unfulfilling lives. The universe is here to work with us, to create a better, more fulfilling life so long as we're willing to take the leap, create a powerful story for ourselves, which we believe, and put in the work required for its fulfillment. Now, of course, we'll end this with, I have contacted Herb Mertz. We'll try to get a podcast. Uh, one of these days, somebody's going to say yes, so um, I'm just waiting. And we've changed the channel to Mystic Dan because real truth, I thought, you know, there are already many YouTube channels and things with the name Real Truth. I wanted something unique in my blog, mysticdan.com. Go to my blog. You can read everything that I post as a video. This is what I do. I write a blog and then I make it into this video where I talk about it in case you like that better. But anyway, I'm going to keep those uh, connected, those congruent, my blog and the YouTube channel. So it's all Mystic Dan. And uh, thank you for watching. I believe the next book will be Time Loops. We're going to be discussing the ability of the mind to perceive the future. Can we, in fact, have a vision of the future before it happens? Is that possible? Anyway, we'll get all into that book in the next episode. It was great. I've had a lot of fun, and I'll see you guys later.